I've been uh, preaching in various different places over the last month. Um, the downside is I've not been around here a great deal, which, which is sad, and I'm really glad to be, be back for a while. Um, but uh, strangely, two of the churches that I preached in, both Hook and uh, Buxton Evangelical Church in Basingstoke, have both been preaching through Mark's Gospel quite independently. Um, so, uh, so in both places, I, I was asked to prepare a, a message from, from Mark's Gospel, which is, which is fine. But strangely, as I kind of prayed and, and uh, just sought God for what he might want me to bring to those churches, I just really felt my spirit, I want to preach that in Winchester. You know, I want to, I want to bring that at home. So, uh, so now I have this opportunity, and, and that's what I'm going to do. So they kind of got the practice, and uh, hopefully this is the, the real thing. Right? So uh, we're just going to read from Mark chapter 2. Verses 1 to 12, it's Jesus healing the paralytic. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's just pray, shall we, and then we'll we'll get stuck into this. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the way you've been moving among us already this morning. Lord, we say, don't, don't stop now. We long to hear from you through the preaching of your word. We thank you. Your word is powerful. Just reveal to us your truth, I pray. Open up our hearts to receive what you would have to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm quite excited by the, the season we're in at the moment. It's, uh, it's, it is exciting. Uh, there's a real sense that uh, God is moving among us. And, and I just sense a, a desire, you know, a new hunger for, for God to be with us at this time, and, and, and a hunger for us to be in the presence of Jesus. And, and that's really what we see in the guys in this story. The word had gone out that Jesus had returned to Capernaum, to his hometown. And the crowds just came. They, they just gathered from, from all around and converged on the place where Jesus was. Now, he was certainly inside a house, Tradition would say it was the house of Peter, the, uh, the disciple. 
but he was in this house and people came and began to pack themselves in, taking every available space. And then when the building was full, people still came and they began to crowd around the windows and and push into the doorway, just straining to hear what Jesus was saying. Now, five men came, one of whom could not walk. He was what the Bible calls a paralytic. And his four friends carried him on his bed. But when they got to the the house, there was no way they could get in through the door. And so they went up the, the stairs, which would have been on the outside of the building, onto the roof and began scratching away at the roof material. It would have been kind of sun baked clay. And they began to chip bits off and, and make a little hole and then eventually expose the, the kind of branches of, of the roof material. And they started pulling away at that roof material until there was a hole big enough to lower their friend down right to the, the feet of Jesus. Now that's hunger, isn't it, to get into the presence of Jesus? That's, that's a desperation, that's determination to get to the place where Jesus is and where he is acting and and moving. And you know, there is a link between that account in the life of Jesus all those years ago to us here today. Now, if Jesus was in Starbucks right now, teaching and, and, you know, healing people, I don't suppose you would be in here listening to me. And uh, I don't suppose I would be here either. We would be there, wouldn't we? We'd be there trying to hear Jesus. Well, Jesus is no longer with us as a man. He rose from the dead. He ascended on high and he's seated at God's right hand. But he has sent his Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is point us to Jesus. Bring glory to Jesus. Jesus said that is what would happen in in John Chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So the Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of Jesus. So our situation is potentially exactly the same as, as that it was for those guys in, in this account in Jesus' life. The Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of Jesus. Where the Holy Spirit is working, Jesus is there. When the Holy Spirit is, is a, moving upon us as a church, like he was in our worship time, we, we are brought into the very presence of Jesus. And what we see is this hunger, this desire, this determination to get into the presence of Jesus. It is a very basic need that we have. It's a bit like the need we have for food, which is why hunger is, is a good metaphor to use. Now, food is something that's close to my heart, you know, because I don't like being hungry. I know that feeling, and I don't like it. If, if I'm planning a day out, the first thing I want to know is, where is my food coming from? You know, where are the meal times? Where will the food go? You get that in place, and then we can sort out everything else around it. But, but I want to know about my food. I don't like being hungry, that's why. And do you know, that hunger, that feeling that we all kind of know, don't we? That's how we should feel about the presence of Jesus. When you gather to worship him, 
Do you feel that same sense of hunger? Yeah, we need to meet Jesus. He's our our lifeblood. It's a bit like Moses when he was on the mountain of God. And God said to him and the Israelites, leave this place and go now into the desert. And Moses said to God, don't send us. Don't make us go unless your presence goes with us. Don't, Don't make us go on our own. We need you with us. And we need that same hunger for Jesus to be moving and working among us. So we should be stirred by the the determination and and the desperation of these men to get into the presence of Jesus. You see, Jesus saw their faith. There were crowds of people. Jesus saw their faith. It was a faith that pressed through. It was a faith that overcame the obstacles, that, that didn't give up at the first setback. Well, I would say, let no obstacle stand in the way of you coming into the presence of Jesus. It would have been easy for those guys to approach the house, see all the crowds, and think, oh well, never mind. Yeah, we tried. Perhaps we'll we'll come back next week. You know, it's obviously not to be. Another time, maybe. But they were determined. They had a faith that pressed through the obstacles. They would get into the presence of Jesus. There are other examples in Scripture of people pressing through the obstacles. Think of little Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a short guy. I relate to that. I'm not particularly tall. I know what it is to be short. And uh, although he was short, he knew that Jesus was passing by. And he wanted to get into the presence of Jesus. Now, as he was stood behind the crowd, sort of unable to to see what was going on, he could have said, oh, well, I guess it's just for tall people. I I, I guess it's not for me, maybe another time. But no, he said, I will get into the presence of Jesus. And so he went and he found a tree. And he climbed up the tree. Now, that would have been a pretty humiliating and demeaning thing for anybody to do, let alone a recognised figure in the community as he was. But he did that, and Jesus saw his faith. If you look in Mark chapter 7, there is a fascinating story of Jesus having a conversation with a Canaanite woman, a woman who was not a Jew. She was a a Syrio-Phoenician lady. She was was not Israelite. And uh, this lady has a daughter who is possessed by evil spirits. And, and, And the lady says to Jesus, will you set my daughter free? And Jesus' response is quite startling. He says, is it right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? He basically calls this lady a dog. Now, I don't know how you would have responded to that. It's a bit of a setback, isn't it? I'd have said, well, stuff you're healing. But you know what? She doesn't. she's She's not put off. She says, I know I'm unworthy. But just one crumb of blessing, that's that's all I need. And Jesus says to her, that is great faith. He sees that great faith. It's a faith that wasn't put off. It wasn't just sort of shaken off and shrugged off. She said, no, I will receive blessing from you. Just a crumb. But I will receive it. Think of Bartimaeus. He was a blind man. 
And he was sat on the side of the, the street, see it in Mark chapter 10. And people tried to silence him, but he was calling out to Jesus, Have mercy on me, son of David. And people said, Shh, Jesus doesn't want to hear you. But he called out all the more. He said, Have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus saw that faith. It was a faith that pressed through, that overcame. And he said to the guy, Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. And in the Old Testament too, look, people like Jabez, who, who was birthed in pain, but, but he cried out to God, oh, that you would bless me and increase my territory. And it says God did bless him. Or people like Jacob, who, who has this fascinating encounter with God and he, he wrestles with God through the night and in the end, whether it's God or the angel of God, I'm not quite sure, but, but the, he wants to go. But Jacob holds on to him and says, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see, there's a determination, a faith that says, no, I will receive everything from Jesus that he has for me. How hungry are you to have genuine encounters with your Lord Jesus? To get into his presence to encounter him in worship. We all know there can be difficulties and obstacles, even in getting to church. I don't equate exactly coming to church with getting into the presence of Jesus. Because you can come to church and think, yeah, I've ticked the box and I'm okay now. But you know, when we come to church, it is our desire to get into the presence of Jesus. And so one primary way of ensuring that you do get into the presence of Jesus is to let no obstacle get in the way of you just being here amongst God's people, worshipping him together and praising him and and hearing God's word. I know church can often be preceded by arguments and hassles and stresses and and the morning can seem so rushed. And, uh, you know, I just don't, don't let that be an obstacle. Push through that. Plan your, your Sunday morning. I, I um, a while ago, started getting up much earlier on a Sunday morning than I was previously because I just found it, it just gave me space. It meant that when I came to church, I was actually ready to worship. Now, this morning, I let you into a secret. I, uh, I got up slightly earlier than I'd intended. And uh, it, was, it was as I was still having a shave, I thought, oh, crumbs, it's not 7 o'clock, is it? It's 6 o'clock. That was quite disappointing. And uh, I know I wasn't alone, okay? I, I won't mention any other names. We will uh, keep it a secret. And uh, so will Gordon Smith as well. <laughs> yeah. But I just say, don't, don't let stuff get in the way if you're coming into the presence of God on a, on a Sunday morning. I know there are shift patterns. I know there are, um, you know, just practicalities of life. But where is your heart? Is it your heart desire to be here? In your community groups, let me talk about community groups for a while. I really want to uh, encourage you to have a focus on worship. To, to, to make sure that it is a priority in your groups that you encounter Jesus. I would say if you get that right, if you are determined to meet Jesus in the context of your community groups, then everything else will flow from that. If your primary motivation is to build friendships and relationships with one another, then it can, if you're not careful, 
become a bit of a clique and a bit of a club. If your primary motivation is to reach the lost, then it can become a bit legalistic and a bit judgmental and dutiful. Well, this is what we do. We tell each other about our friends about Jesus. Now, that's a great thing to do. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is, let your priority, your motivation be to encounter Jesus. To have a genuine relationship with him corporately in your community groups. Because once you are captivated by Jesus, you realise that to love him is to love the people around you. And to love him is to get his heart for the lost. You see, but it starts by being captivated by him. So let nothing kind of push out that um, element of community group life, which is having genuine encounters with him. We don't experience much in the way of persecution in this country, do we? We don't experience uh, legislation that would make it difficult for us to meet together and worship him. We know of other countries, don't we? We've heard recently of of the Moscow Bible Week last year being severely disrupted. And and we hear about our brothers in in India and and Pakistan and, and other countries in the world as well. Do you know, the reason we hear about churches being persecuted is because there were Christian believers there who had a faith that pressed through. A faith that overcame the obstacles. If they had capitulated, we would not hear about them because there would not be a church. But there there are guys who say, no, we will worship Jesus. We will press through. There are other barriers that can get in the way of us encountering Jesus. Just tiredness, just being distracted. Also, disappointment in your life. Have you experienced setback or unanswered prayer? Or is life just kind of complicated and difficult at the moment? And you think, oh, I just don't, I just don't fancy worshipping God today. I just don't fancy it. It's, it's difficult. You know, I'm, I'm, there's things going on in my life and, and it's hard. I said, don't let these things be an obstacle. Press through. Have a faith that overcomes. Sometimes uh, well-meaning worship leaders will say something along the lines of, Come into worship, but leave your your baggage at the door. Have you heard that sort of expression? You know, leave your suitcases at the door, come in and and worship him. It's it's not a bad sentiment, but do you know what? I'm just not sure I can do that. If you genuinely have stuff going on in your life which is difficult, then it's, it's who I am. It's who you are. You can't just leave it and and walk in 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 a kind of falsehood, you know, sanctified, holy glow. Great, that isn't part of me anymore. Because it is. Do you know what? I think God knows that. And I think he just wants us to press through, have a faith that actually presses through those barriers and say, despite this, I will still encounter Jesus this morning. I will still come and worship him. And, uh, you know, he knows what's going on in your life. And you can say to your Lord, this is how it is, but I know that your name is written over it. You know, I know that you are sovereign. I know that you have made promises in my life, and it is those that I stand on. Do you see, we worship out of an honesty about who we are and who God is over it. Don't let it be a barrier. 
And there's only one thing that stops you worshipping God, and that's sin. But even that is no meaningful barrier. The devil will tell you it is, but it's not, because Jesus has died to remove that barrier from your life. And his grace is available to you. And you can come to him and confess that sin. You can, you can place Jesus as Lord over that area of your life. And his forgiveness is there for you. And that barrier is gone. And you can come freely into the presence of Jesus by a new and living way, purchased by his blood. So let's have that hunger, that desire, that determination. Nothing will stand in the way of us encountering Jesus. It's not just in worship. I think in everything we do, there needs to be a hunger Uh, You know, that kind of core belly feeling. We just need this. I think it touches our prayer. I was really stirred again by our prayer meeting out there at quarter past nine till quarter to ten. Just in the last few weeks, I just feel we've gone up a notch. I don't know if you would say that if you've been there. Just a a real kind of hunger to see God do what what we're asking him to do. It's great, isn't it, that we can just approach our Lord and Saviour and pray. You know, we don't have to use long, complicated words or religious speak. Jesus actually condemns the Pharisees for doing that. We can just come and ask. But that doesn't mean that we're kind of casual and, and glib about it. It's not like walking into Sainsbury's with the shopping list and saying, oh, here, God, here's the stuff for today. And when Jesus prayed, he sweated blood. There was a hunger. That there was a, a core need. You know, I, he said, my God, I need. I so desire to see you work. How much do we desire to see God moving in this church? How much do we desire revival in Winchester? How much do we long to see people saved? How much do we long to see strongholds coming down in the name of Jesus? You know, there should be a hunger an urgency in our prayer. There should be a hunger for truth. When we're hearing God's word preached, this isn't you know, just like little thoughts. No, we're saying we, we want to hear you, Lord. We want to hear truth. We want to get answers to the questions that are, are kind of sitting in, a, in our mind. In every way, in every aspect of church, in every way of your walk with God, engender this hunger. It's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. It's a faith that presses through. It's a faith that overcomes obstacles. That, that, that in the core of your spirit says, no, I need, I need to know the presence of Jesus. It's a faith issue. It's also a team issue. I think the real heroes of this story are the, the friends. And the friends displayed the, the complete opposite of a a consumerist Christianity. And we know, don't we, that our society breeds a kind of individual approach, not only to life, but also to our Christian walk with God. Because it's all about my needs and uh, my experience of church and my calling and my future, my relationship with God. And it leads to a, a consumer mentality when we think, well, I'll give when I have determined what I'm going to get. 
And I, if, if I think it's worth it to me, then, then maybe I will give of myself. Or maybe I can get better value somewhere else. Well, do you know, the friends in this story, they got absolutely nothing. They're, they're not even mentioned. Once they've lowered Jesus down, they, they're not even mentioned in the story. They, they get nothing. But you know, it was their faith that Jesus noticed. Verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, You see, this is a great model for church. Their faith, Jesus works down here. Your salvation is personal, it's individual. It's your sin. Jesus dies for you when you put your faith and trust in him. But God is restoring for himself a people. This was a case with the, the Israelites, the, the children of Israel. But it's still the case in the church today, in the church age. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says this, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So we just need to keep hold of that in our experience of church and imitate the faith of these guys. I think there is a challenge here just to be concerned about the spiritual welfare of one another. And you can ask the question, well, what's in it for me? What's, what's, what's in it for you? And here the answer might be nothing. Certainly not this side of eternity, you know, these, these guys, well, they got into the presence of Jesus, you know, they, they, they got into the Bible. But in terms of what they received from Jesus in this story, it was nothing. And yet they had taken a pastoral responsibility for their friend. They had exercised faith. They put in the effort and Jesus saw that faith. Do you know, I believe that God would be calling us across this auditorium to take pastoral leadership roles. Where we exercise faith, not just for our own life and our own walk or the walk of our family, but actually for one another in the church. Our first prayer can be, lead me not into responsibility, but deliver me from leadership. Well, I just think... We need to learn from these guys in this story. I think there is an application here in our community group life. I am so grateful for those of us who lead community groups or or assist in in the leadership of a community group. Church could not exist without you. And, And I'm so grateful for all you do. You are exercising faith on a weekly basis. And actually there is often not a lot of thanks There is often not a lot of gain and reward. But you know, your faith benefits others. I believe Jesus sees your faith and works through it in the life of those in your community group. But you know, I think there is a a calling, a requirement on all of us to be thinking in those terms. To actually be stepping up and saying, yeah, I can exercise that faith. And I'll do it not for myself. I'll do it for the strengthening of the church. Do you know what I believe? Most people among us could lead a community group in some form or other. You know, don't discount yourself. Don't disqualify yourself. 
The question is, will we exercise that faith for the sake of others? These guys knew that they themselves were not the solution. There is nothing they could do to help their friend, but what they did was put in the effort to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. And sometimes you can look at people in the church and you can think, well, they're pretty needy. You know, they've got stuff going on. Their life's a bit of a mess. I'm not sure I can take that weight of responsibility. But, you know, that's not what we're asked to do. The, The pastoral responsibility that we need is to actually take people and say, I cannot help you, but let me point you to Jesus. Because he is the answer that you're looking for. He is the one you need in your life. It's not me. Don't don't lean on me. Actually, let me take you to Jesus. That's what we need. If you have a level of maturity in Christ, I just believe there's a responsibility on you to lead the weak or the new in faith to Jesus. It might not be in community groups. It might be just in kind of ad hoc pastoral ways. You know, someone's struggling I don't know, with with a parenting issue or with a marriage issue or or just with a life issue or a job issue and and you just say, I I just want to help you. I just want to speak into your life. I just want to come alongside you in that. It's a step of faith for you, but I believe it's a faith that Jesus sees. He sees your faith and he, he helps the person. There are examples in scripture of people doing that. There's there's a centurion in Matthew chapter eight and uh, his servant is sick. And, and um, he goes and asks Jesus if he will heal his servant. And Jesus says, well, I will go with you and I will, I will see your servant. And the centurion says, no, you don't need to come with me. Just one word from you and he will be healed. And Jesus said, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The, the Syrophoenician woman that would be another example of this. She, she says, I know I'm unworthy, but, but I know you are Lord. And, and, and just one crumb of blessing from you is all I need. And, and it wasn't for her benefit, it, it was for another. People who exercise faith, not for their own benefit, but that of another. God has given us gifting of all sorts and, and varieties. God gives gifts within his church for the building and strengthening of the church. I think... Perhaps the primary way we exercise faith is to the benefit and, and upbuilding of one another. And, uh, and working in the gifts of the Spirit is just one example of that. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. That's the focus. Not ourselves, others. Team faith gets God's attention. There's one more thing to look at. In this story, it was a faith issue, it was a team issue, it's also a heart issue. You see, what outraged the Pharisees and maybe surprised everybody who was there was that Jesus didn't deal with the obvious problem first. And you know, our most basic need that we have is for forgiveness of sin. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. The most important thing in your life, in in our uh, society, is not your status, it's not your standard of living, it's not even your your kind of moral code or how good you are. 
you, you know about the, uh, the bus campaign, there's probably no God, you've heard about that. Well, that slogan is now out. There is a new slogan that is being uh, flooded around New York this weekend. And uh, all through the New York subway, there are posters going up. And those posters say, one million New Yorkers are good without God. How about you? And you know, it misses the point. The question is not, are you good without God? The question is, are you good enough for God? And the Bible says, there is no one righteous, not even one. You know, you can think, am I good? You say, well, I'm good. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. How good are you? That's like the difference between a small ant and a big ant when compared to the size of the whole earth. They are both tiny. And your goodness does not measure up to the glory of God. The question is, where is your heart? It's not about being good. It's not about a moral standard. The question is, where is your heart? The most basic need you have is for forgiveness of sin. And only God can forgive your sin. Jesus asked the question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? It was a bit of a a riddle. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean to just say it because both are pretty easy to say. I've just said them there. The question is, which is easier to say and by saying it, put it into effect? You know, is it easier to say to someone, get up and walk when they're paralysed and actually have them stand up and walk? Or is it easier to say your sins are forgiven and by that utterance actually forgive their sins? Well, the answer is both are pretty difficult. You know, to say to a paralysed person, get up and walk, and then actually do it, that takes amazing, miraculous power. That's pretty startling stuff. But, you know, to say your sins are forgiven, only God can do that. Only he can do that. The Pharisees were not so concerned that this man, Jesus, was healing people. Because he'd been doing that all day. What really got to them, what really made them angry, was that he forgave sin. And they said, this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sin except God alone? And you know, they were right. Only God can forgive your sin. Your sin. Your failure to worship him. Your failure to see Jesus as the most valuable thing in your life. Your failure to follow him as Lord. It's an affront against God himself. That's who you sin against. It's against God. And so only he can forgive you. If someone attacks you in the street and left you in a little sort of bloody mess in the gutter, but I happen to see that and I went up to your attacker and I said, I forgive you for that. I forgive you. You would rightly be a bit knocked. You'd say, well, hold on a minute. He didn't attack you. Who are you to say you forgive it? It's me. I'm the one attacked. You know, your sin is an affront against God. Only God can forgive you. Forgiveness must come from him. But you know what? God does forgive sin. 
The prophet Micah says, Who is God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives transgression. And it's because of Jesus that God can forgive your sin. Because he died. Although he was completely sin free. But in so dying, he paid the price for your sin. The penalty that should have been yours. He took your sin. So you are totally forgiven. And he gave you righteousness before God in return. That's how to deal with the problem of the human heart. Get Jesus to say to you, your sins are forgiven. Put your faith and trust in him. He'll cleanse you of your sin. He'll give you a new core to to your being. Make you spiritually alive in him. Do you know, if you've never done that, you need to do that this morning. The biggest issue you have is the issue with your heart. But you can deal with that. You can come to Jesus right here and right now and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you deal with my sin? I want you to do that today if you've not done it before. Do you know, whether you've been a Christian 10 seconds or or 50 years, he's still interested in your heart's attitude to him. A heart response to Jesus, what the the Bible calls repentance, turning your heart to him with your thoughts and your attitudes and your your priorities. There's a sense in which we, we need to walk in that every day. And we're so quick, aren't we, to judge the externals. You know, we, we think, oh, well, that person's not been to church for a while, or, or well, I don't like that thing they said. And, and we judge what people say and do, but God looks at the heart. He looks at your heart's attitudes. Do you care about him? Are you hungry for his presence? Are you hungry to worship him? Do you care about the poor? Do you care about the lost and people who are, are heading to an eternity of, of lostness and death in hell because they've not heard about Jesus? Do you care about the church and being part of a church and, and all that that means? You see, the paralytic, the friends, the crowd, the Pharisees, everybody looks at the external situation. This guy is lying on his bed. But Jesus looked at the heart. He went to the heart of the matter. And uh, do you know what? That's what God does. And he still does. And I think even this morning, God would want to speak into our hearts. In the very core of your being. And say, that's, that's the bit I'm interested in. How, how you are worshipping me. Where is your hunger for me? 